retrograde. It's that so retrograde. Oh my god. Here we are. I'm so happy to be here. I'm Elizabeth Cott. I'm Stephanie Sambari. And as we said, this is That's So Retrograde. You guys know it. You tuned in. You know about it. We're that show where we talk about self-care and like living your Oprah-style best life if you want to. Yeah, if you feel like if it. If you feel like it today. If not, just do what I did and eat five pieces of caramel. Yeah, we had to kind of like hold hold yeah. for recording while caramel like, chew. I think our listeners definitely want to hear my caramel chewing mouth <laughs> noises. And Elizabeth was like, you're dead to me. Yeah, no, I was just like, we'll wait. I'll wait. And then she tapped her invisible watch. (laughs) Exactly. That's me. That's my vibe. That's what I'm bringing to the table. Here we are. Very thrilled about today's guest, Stephanie. Um, (laughs) Me too, Elizabeth. (laughs) (laughs) We have our friend, activist, author, producer, and founder of I Am That Girl and her newest venture, Protect Her, Miss Alexis Jones. It's not even Miss Alexis Jones anymore. Mrs. Alexis. All sorts of misses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the show. Thank you. We're, we're just going to call you Mrs. Alexis. I like that. Because yeah. I kept my last name. You did? And everyone in Texas was like, really? And they gave me that look like, you're not going to take it. And I was like, I love my husband and I love me. Yeah. <laughs> I love my name. I love them both. Perfect. So, yeah. It also seems like a big headache to change your last oh, name. Pa- yeah. Paperwork I, for days. Yeah. And I have like books. Addresses. I have like yeah. things that are like <laughs> yes. in the world that I was right. like, well, that's awkward. You do have a book, which I must say is like was a tiny like life goal checked off in my book because I was lucky enough to get to contribute to it, and I have an so essay pumped. in there. And so, what's it called? It's called "I Am That Girl." And what's your essay about? About vulnerability. Cute. And by the way, before vulnerability was cool, sure. you know what I mean? Because that was 2014. It mm-hmm. wasn't like Brene Brown was on the scene talking about all this stuff, and everyone is right. like, "That's the buzzword." It was like. You were, I'm just saying, setting trends. Well, you told me to write about well, it. Then. <laughs> <laughs> Full disclosure, I was given an assignment. I was just going to give that to you, <laughs> just so you know. You should have just been like, totally. Totally. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, <laughs> you and I have known each other four years, like eight, at least seven, eight years now. And um, as as I mentioned, you've, you've got a whole beautiful resume of, of things you do, but when we first broke down together and became friends, you told me the most phenomenal story about how you created, like the segue into what created I Am That Girl, which was your vision for reconstructing the messages that we are giving to young women. And you, like there's just such an amazing trajectory. So I just would love to start with you telling this tale, if you don't mind. Sure. No, it's funny. I, I mean, I haven't told it. In years, actually. So when you said it, I was like, oh, I hope I remember the details. <laughs> um, so I had started I Am That Girl my sophomore year at USC. And just kind of like the context is I sat down with six girls and I said, we have a lot of conversations about things that don't matter. Clothes and shoes and movies and books. And I said, what if once a week we had conversations about things that did? Would you come? Um, that first meeting were six girls. Six meetings later, we had 347 girls showing up. So it was just kind of this like powerful, oh, my gosh. You know, like girls need girls. It was kind of that epiphany. And Mm. meanwhile, I decided that I was going to like start this like company, which, you know, when you're 19, you don't even know what that means. You know, you're (laughs) like, what does it mean? Like legal and accounting. And um, I just kind of had this vision of like, what does the world look like in which like Girl Scouts extend beyond high school? And why do you, you know. And people admit that they're in it. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Important factor. Yes, serious important factor. I had, like, so many friends who were in Girl Scouts until 12th grade that were, like, my best friends that I didn't know because, like, it was, like, a secret society that no one wanted to admit they were a part of, but they did really cool stuff. Really cool stuff. But they were like, yeah, I'm a Girl Scout. They're like, I'm a Scout. Yeah. I was like, like, what? I don't even know you. They just, like, totally fall off. I'm in Girl Scouts. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Like, what is that? Yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. 
So that was my thing is like, how do we create like a badass version of that where right. you're like stoked to tell people that you're a part of this thing? And meanwhile, I was a super nerd like all through school. And I was like with like nine different highlighters, like sitting front row. And um, I was really good friends with all my professors. So I went to grad school, undergrad and grad school at USC. And I had this professor... I don't know about y'all if you have like a teacher that like changes your life and he was one of those guys who just like spoke truth into me at all at all times and one of the things that he said was he said um you know the power of reality tv that right now you know it's really creating this construct around fame and like all these different things um all these components that especially like millennials are gravitating to and just the influence of it and this was a while ago this yeah was, this like, was 2005 of it. yeah yeah so exactly when the this comeback was, like, was airing yes What's the comeback? What? Our favorite TV show. Oh, my God. Lisa Kudrow plays, like, a washed-up sitcom actress who then gets who, a reality who's show. Who's, like, forced to do a reality show to but, revive her career. It's and it's phenomenal. very ahead of oh its time God. because she's doing a reality show. Because she's doing that now. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, you yeah, need so to watch that they, as an aside. Done. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that was the whole thing. Was it, like, the power of reality? And it was, it was just starting. So his wife, Salam, runs the Style Network, and he's just this, like, badass dude who's come in and was talking about, like, media and the impact media has on us and all the messaging. And as millennials, we consume 10 hours of media a day. So, like, why wouldn't that construct our definitions of self and womanhood and masculinity and wealth and success? All these different, like, huge things that – most of us are chasing in some capacity. Most of us have never actually been intentional or thoughtful of what it even means, according mm -hmm. to us, right? So we've just consumed this definition that means something to society and culture. Needless to say, I run into his office hours, and I was like, I have the best idea ever. And he's like, here we go, Jones, <laughs> what now? And I was like, I'm going to go on a reality TV show because, you know, I'm graduating in six days anyway. And uh, I'm going to launch I Am That Girl. Didn't even know, like, what that meant. I just, like, said things like, I'm going to launch I Am That Girl. Yeah. And um, and so if you can help me from a branding standpoint, we can be really creative and, like, basically leverage this platform. And he was like, what show are you going to go on? And I was like, I don't know, like, maybe Survivor. <laughs> and he was like, and really, I was just, like, a hardcore tomboy who, like, secretly wanted to be on Survivor. You <laughs> right. know what I mean? And I was yeah. like, no, I'll leverage it totally for activism. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so he kind of, like, laughed and was like, cool, you should do that. You should go on Survivor. At least you weren't like The Bachelor. Oh, in this world where I'm like, I think it makes so much sense. And he was like, that sounds crazy. Um, but by all means, like you go get on a reality sure. TV show, come back, we'll like brainstorm, right. like marketing, whatever. And so I called in a favor from a friend because I'd worked at Fox Sports and ESPN, which I basically say that translates into every one of my guy friends owed me big time, mm -hmm. like for all of the like sporting events tickets and stuff. So I called Steve Desmond and I said, where's Mark Burnett's secret production company? Because I'm going to be on Survivor. And um, and he was like, you know, I can't tell you. It's secret for a reason. Yeah. And I was like, that's funny. Because I remember OSU, USC field passes. Um, <laughs> we were ranked one and two. And he was like, okay, I'll give it to you. But you can't tell anyone. Yeah. I'm like going on a podcast. I'm like, I'm like Steve <laughs> But that was like 12, 12 years ago. He's, yeah. not like, he's like so left Who since cares? then. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he gave me the address. I called my best guy friend uh, who actually married Brad and me. So like to this day, best, best, best. guy friend. Best, mm -hmm. best. And I said the same thing. I said, I need you to come over to my house with a video camera because um, I'm going to be on Survivor. And it's like the litmus test of a good friend, right? He was like, I'll be right there. And I was like, that's so sketchy. Can I just point out, you weren't yet cast on the show. Major correct? manifestation. Right. Like, this is just like, like, this is Shaman Durek level. Like, yeah. just say yeah. it and it is. Totally. Totally. Love that. Okay. Yeah. Continue. So, um, <laughs> long story short, I made up that I, 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 Recorded a video, like literally holding my teddy bear, like it's on YouTube. Like I'm holding my teddy bear and I'm like, this is why I should be on Survivor. I show up to these 
you know, the gate and the cameras and I wait, the security guard like walks away and I run up and I hit the call box button and immediately this gruff voice is like, hello? And it was like, and they like take a pic, right? It's like your face. And I was like, fully not prepared for any of this. And it was kind of one of those, that idea, and it's always resonating, I'm gonna totally butcher it, but the idea of, you know, um, take a leap of faith and you grow wings on the way down. Like I think if there's any like through line in my life, it's just like the minute that your head gets wrapped around like the how and the logistics, you've already lost like Mm. all impetus to like Mm. just go for it. Totally. So I find that so much of my life is about just like showing up, just like standing out, like walking out on stage being like, I don't know what I'm about to say, but I'm just going to walk. Like just putting yourself in the way of opportunity. And so I get up there and, um, this guy is like, who are you? And I was like, yeah, no, I'm here. And I totally panicked. And he was like, yeah, who are you here to see? And I said, um, Cecilia. And there was this long pause. And I was like, Cecilia? I've never even met a Cecilia. <laughs> and like maybe a common name like Mr. Jones or like yeah. Kristen, you know? And he was like, Cecilia. And all I thought was like, you got to like keep going with it. And I was like, yeah, no, I think that's her name. And um, he was like, oh, yeah, wait one sec. And like the door's open. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, you got to be kidding me. There's a chick here named Cecilia. She's probably in accounting and she's going to come down and be like, hey, (laughs) you asked for me. It's going to be super awkward. And I walk into the front desk and uh, the woman behind the front desk, she goes, oh, honey, happens all the time. My name is Cynthia. Like, no one ever gets it right. And I was like, right? I'm so sorry. I was like, that's my bad. And she was like, no, it's fine. We start chatting like 10 minutes in. She's like, so what are you you doing here again? And I said, oh, I'm here for for Survivor. And she's like, you're one of the 48 finalists. They just flew in for the final interview. And I was like, "Mm mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I'm freaking out. I, like, couldn't sleep last night. What? <laughs> oh my god. So she's like looking up the call sheet and basically is like, um, I don't see what's your name? And I was like, Alexis Jones. And she was like, I don't see you on the and I said, Well that's how would I know to be here, you know, for my intern and she was like, Yeah, no, I mean probably an intern and I was like Interns are the worst. <laughs> they never get anything right. You know, and she was like, Yeah, good point. And she was like, I'll send you in. And so I was like, Okay. So I walk in, it's like Mark Burnett, like six executive producers and um, sitting there having a conversation and they were like, who are you? And I was like, I'm one of your final 48. And they're like, you're definitely not. They did, they said that. Yeah, they're like, not a chance. And I was like, oh. And they're like, who is this? Like, is there, is this an intern? What's going on here? And I knew I had this like moment, you know, and I like blacked out like Will Ferrell. Sure. You know, and I was like, ugh. And I looked at Mark Burnett and I was like, here's the deal. I'm an all-American Southern Belle Texas tomboy. I grew up with four older brothers. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to, you know. Um, I look banging in a bikini. And uh, I got through your entire security. I think it's in your best interest to cast me. And, like, there was this, like, long Elevator pause. Elevator pitch. <laughs> yeah. See ya. There was this long pause. And he, and he looks at next to him and he goes, my God, she's pretty fucking convincing. Uh, and so I got cast and, and I left way. like a week later for the island. So I went back to my professor and I was like, yo, you're never going <laughs> to believe this. And he was like, what? And I was like, bro, I just got cast for Survivor. And he was like, what? And so I was like, uh, memorized every single soundbite for like a company that didn't exist. And then I went out on the show and they were like very insistent on like putting Alexis Jones grad student. And I was like, bro, I graduated. I run I Am That Girl. I didn't even know like what that it didn't meant. didn't even exist at didn't the time. Didn't even exist. And it just was. It just oh, was because I said so. I think that line of it was because I said so. Mm-hmm. Because I did all of this pre-press 
And in every single interview, I was like, I'm the founder of I Am That Girl. This, 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 and this. We're an organization dedicated to empowering girls to be in their best selves. Like, I was just like, you know, memorized all these things and then went out there and was just, when they were like, well, we can't find you online. I was like, my website is down. We're, we're working on it. <laughs> I bought the DBA. You're a full con artist. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> For all the times that people are like, why aren't you an actor? And I'm like, because I am in my own life. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to play another role. I play this role. That's so funny. Yeah. So it's kind of the power of. I used to see all those cheesy, like, leadership posters that were like, you miss 100% of the shots you never take with, like, Wayne Gretzky. And I'd always be like, because I don't play hockey. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> um, and then it was like a reminder, like, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take of just, like, throwing yourself out there. Like, worst case scenario, we're so afraid of, like, well, I'm going to look dumb or I'm going to fail or I'm going to whatever. And it's like, cool, then you can just be on antidepressants for the rest of your life because you never go for anything. So we're gonna have to cut that out. Sorry. <laughs> My bad. No, that's okay. No, we don't. Um, <laughs> so you had I'm a, I am that girl, which is still th- alive and thriving. In fact, our uh, one of our interns, Haley, who we found through I am that girl, who's here today. Yay! We're so excited she's here. Hi, we're Haley. We're staring at her right now. Um, putting her on the spot. Sorry, but she's wonderful, and we found her through I am that girl. It's a phenomenal community, and through I am that girl, which was messaging towards women and community, you've now transitioned and pivoted, which feels like a really natural progression into Protect Her. Mm -hmm. Please tell us about Protect Her. Yeah, I think that, um, like you said, it was always really natural, and I think anyone who knows me, it made even more sense because because I was a tomboy growing up, and I grew up with four older brothers, and I've been so blessed to be surrounded. I always say I'm a connoisseur of phenomenal men that, like, my dad's the best man that I know, and I know that's not everyone's story, you know, and um, my best guy friends. Like, I was just surrounded with, like, an excellent um, caliber of men, and so I was always a big fan of dudes in general, and so when I started I Am That Girl, I think there was always something that was kind of funny, like a bit of a juxtaposition that all my guy friends were like, dude, you're like this feminist now, and I was like, yes, I am, yeah. are we all? Yeah. Start there. Yeah. But, um, you know, it was kind of this idea of, like, them getting curious because of the work I was doing with girls of being like, when are you going to, like... You know, I don't know. Like, it started with T-shirts. They were like, when are you going to make, like, T-shirts for us? And I was like, yeah. That say I am that girl? Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, they (laughs) were, like, supportive. Yeah. Um, My brother actually is a fireman. Um, Just, again, to speak to the kind of humans I'm surrounded by um, in male form. And he was, like, the first guy who was like, when are you going to make stuff for us? Like, you're doing T-shirts and, like, community and all this stuff for girls. And I kept saying, like, well, I'm kind of busy. Like, I feel like I'm doing kind of, you know, a good job with this half of this guy. And... Um, and he called me one day and he was like, hey, I made t-shirts, um, for my whole, you know, all the firemen. And I thought he was being sarcastic. So I thought he was going to like do a spin and be like, I had that girl, like something like, you know, boyish (laughs) and whatever. And he took a picture and like, I literally have to follow up and like show you a picture of what he sent. And it said, this is what a feminist looks like. Those are your brothers? Mm -hmm. Oh my God, cute. And he's like holding an accent and he's like a total babe. So he's like holding an accent. (laughs) This whole interview just comes to me. (laughs) like, anyway, about these amazing men. (laughs) Anyway, and so, you know, I think that like you said, the natural progression of the the predominant demographic for I Am That Girl was uh, college girls and obviously skews young as well to high school girls. But um, there's kind of this revelation of like we're never going to see any real social change and having been in the trenches for 10 years 
working with girls, I wasn't seeing the needle moving. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so for me, it was like, I don't understand how stats are only getting worse. And we have like more In girl terms of empowerment. Like rape culture and all rape that Rape culture stuff. and cutting and suicide and depression and anxiety. Like yeah. literally every measurable for like a human being who's not healthy mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, um, we're getting worse. And not to mention like, of course, like, you know, rape statistics, sexual assault on college campuses right now. Um, so out of control. Out of, like, beyond pandemic. When you have one in four, and that is based off of only 20% of girls who will ever say anything, mm-hmm. when you do the real math of that, University of Texas just came out with a report, one in three on their campus. And mm-hmm. we still know the reporting is not accurate. Um, and so for me, it was like, not only for me, there was like an urgency. It like reminded me of like Aaron Brockovich. I don't know if you remember that scene where she was like, she gets kind of removed from the case for a second and the girl comes in. She's like, well, you can't possibly know like all of the names. And she's like, try me. Yeah. You know, and I she love was like, that scene. I think Linda that's what won her the Oscar. I think so too. In that moment of there's a ferocity that happens when something feels so intimately personal mm-hmm. um, and in, and it's like tethered to your calling and to your mm-hmm. passion. And so I think when all this stuff started coming out with guys um, and or sexual assault culture, it was like there's no way that we're going to do this only preaching to half the sky. Um, and then Yogi Roth and Trent Dilfer gave me the opportunity and that was really kind of the, the organic segue. But I think it was that <laughs> invite and – I mean, at the time, Yale, one of my best friends, was getting married. So I remember I was like, oh, I actually can't make it. I'm sorry. Um, They're like, no, we'll, like, change the programming around. It was for the top quarterback um, boot camp in the country. And so they were like, no. College age? High school. Oh, okay. So these are, like, the top high school, creme de la creme. Anyone who, like, knows sports, like, 95% of Heisman Trophy winners come out of this program. It's, like, super prestigious. These are, like, the dudes who are basically going to be, you know, eventually starting quarterbacks for all the major uh, universities and will go on to play pro. Mm-hmm. Um, so needless to say, I came in and, and decided last minute to, you know, give this talk. And I called my husband and I said, you know, obviously I've been, I've been preaching to, to girls for a long time, but like, what am I going to say to dudes? And like, how do you make a conversation about like respect girls, like cool and like something that is going to resonate? And he said, um, Here's the truth. Like, as an 18-year-old boy, and my husband was a professional athlete for nine years, so he was like, I've heard this talk 100,000 different times from 100 different ways. And he was like, but when you're 18, like, truthfully, as women, I don't think you can understand how real, like, that sexual drive and, like, how we are so hardwired and programmed to view women, and it's only gotten worse, right, because of pornography. 98% of millennial boys learn about sex through porn starting at 12. So you're talking about the Yikes. consumption of objectification and hypersexualization. And he said, so when you walk in and you talk about, like, sexual assault prevention, they literally don't get past the word sex. They're they, like, sex. <laughs> you know, and they're now. like, and that's it. And he said, and again, if I'm being really honest, he said, immediately they're imagining, like, the hot sorority girls that they want to hook up with, right? Like, that's how their brains are wired. And he said, so if I were you... I would um, wear a bikini. I would wear a bikini. I would go in a thong and be like, ta-da. And you would really get their attention. Off message, just kidding. No, I think it's hilarious. But relevant, I mean, it would. It would capture their attention. Um, but he said, if I were you, I would come in and, and I would pull pictures of their sisters and their moms and their girlfriends from social media. And I would, Damn. I would put it in your presentation. Deep cut. Right? Whoa. Yeah. And so I come walking in and I'm the only girl in the room. And again, it's the top 18 high school quarterbacks, but then it's past and present NFL players and it's male executives from ESPN and Nike. I'm the only girl in the room. And I come walking in and. What did um, you wear? I wore black leather pants, Nike high tops, like a dope 
uh, tank top uh, that like covered my booty. That was like the one thing my husband was like, you think I'm kidding? Because is it for him? And he's like, it's not about like, yeah. you know, dudes checking you out. He was like, I'm, it's actually distracting. Yeah. And then I had a jacket over mm. and I think a baseball cap. So I was like covered like my hands. Like power cuteness. Yeah, cute. power, super power cute. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I came walking in and, you know, I get to the front and, uh, and I say, you know, we're going to have this conversation about the importance of respecting girls and women. And we know that one in four girls would be sexually assaulted on a college campus. And it was like everything that I anticipated was like kind of the eye roll and like, ugh, we're going to do this right now. And then I pause. It was very dramatic, like acting pause. And I was like, but it's different when it's her. And I like click the next slide and I memorize like 10 to 15 names and I was like, it's different when it's Lauren. No! Um, and when it's Jenny. I just got And chills. when it's Me Sarah. Too. And when it's Danielle. <gasps> and I just started going through and, and I pulled daughters from some of the executives who were up there and there was a visceral reaction of Whoa. like half the guys in the room like started tearing up. And um, I love when boys cry. So cool. It's so hot. That's <laughs> what they don't know. That's what they don't understand. It's so hot. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, in from a body language standpoint, of this like slumped back in their chairs of like, oh, here we go, whatever, to I mean, sitting straight up, leaning in, being like, you have my full attention. Because mm -hmm. now they're not thinking about the random chicks they want to have sex with. They're thinking about the one chick they don't want anyone having sex with, mm -hmm. right? Like, it literally ignited a different part of their brain. You know, like, in our stomach, we're like, we have our stomach, then we have our dessert stomach, you know? Yeah. Like, you like, this whole separate compartment. Sure. It was like a whole Left separate... Leg. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hollow like, leg. Oh, both legs. <laughs> um, but it, like, totally activated this, um, this protector inside of them. Wow. And that's what was crazy is, like, even where the name came from, you know, it was this idea that I went on this rant about, like, this is who you are, I want to summon the protector inside of you. I want to summon like that there's a predilection inside of male DNA that you are hardwired to protect. That's the dude I want to listen to and talk to right now. And there was just this like, there was some magic that happened. Mm -hmm. And it was in that moment that I said, and you've known me for, I mean, you know, eight years, maybe longer, that for a long time I was like, I was put on the planet to empower women. There's no question, you know, to love them back to life. Like, I had all these one-liners, and it wasn't until I stood in a room full of alpha dudes that I was like, there's no question whether or not I was put on the planet to empower women through the empowerment of young men to mm. better educate them. And it it's so funny when we look back on life, and it's like all of those dots connect mm -hmm. but I was like that's why I grew up in Texas where football is a religion and we were like late to church every Sunday because we were going you know we were watching ESPN highlights and like grew up with so many brothers and why I have such amazing relationships with men also why I worked at Fox Sports and ESPN like all of these things made sense in that moment that mm -hmm. it's like I am that girl is my first child and I love her fiercely and um and protector was my second and I think being able to like integrate something that like you said is so holistic that I never have a conversation about one without the other because it's not possible. So something that you said, we saw you talking at South by and something that you said about protector is you were talking about how like the, the, lo the locker room culture is really the place where men kind of encourage each other to be pieces of shit or to be the protector. Sure. And I just want to, you to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, I think also when you look at our culture and when you look back in like, you know, medieval days you know you look at like kings and lords and like those were the things or if you know you look back at um mythical days the gods you know like whenever you look at any kind of culture and like the fables and the myths that are that are told in our culture today the way that we um 
amplify voices of male athletes, mm-hmm. um, specifically. Not entertainers as well, but there's something very definitive about male athletes that really encompasses, like, all of the the concept of alpha. Well, right? that, they're pretty much, I feel like, in today's world, the only man that represents alpha. Yes. Like, actors are femi. Is it, are we allowed to say mm-hmm. femi? Yeah. <laughs> is that like I like how you just like made eyes? I'm like, like, is that okay? A, you are. It suddenly sounded like very 20th century. Steph, we have like, an explicit rating. You can say whatever no, you want. I don't think it's a I curse word, but thing. I'm wondering if it's I like it. passe. No, we get it. Or whatever. No, I know what you're saying. You know? Effeminate. Effeminate. I mean, it's yeah. the arts versus yeah. big time. They're sports. the only yeah. ones. And I mean, even when you look back at gladiator days, yeah, right? Exactly. I mean, like football is 21st century gladiator yeah right they're gladiators mm-hmm. and so for me it was like hitting at the heartbeat as you just said of masculinity of yeah. the way that every little boy under the age of 10 more often than not wants to be an athlete right mm-hmm. like they don't realize that they're gonna like tap out at five seven they're like I'm for sure gonna be Sad. in the NBA you know and yeah. I want to play baseball I want to and obviously you know there's other activities that kids do um but I think that that is something and that's other like really, expressions of masculinity of course right of course, but I think culture is very specific yeah. about the masculinity that it shoves down little boys' throats. And yeah. I think that that is actually so much of what we're trying to do with Protector is to broaden that. Because to your point, oh my God, there's so many shades um, of masculinity. And I think we're given like a really strong definition of like be rich, be famous, and bang a ton of girls. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like the consistent feedback when I'm in locker rooms. And I'm like, talk to me. What what does masculinity mean to you? And at first, no matter what locker room, they're like integrity, character, <laughs> providing. And I'm like, I don't think anyone's rapping about like, yo, this guy's integrity is like off the charts. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I'm like, what does it really mean to you? Yeah. In every single locker room, by the time we narrow it down, that is inevitably the list that they have been given is be rich and be famous and bang a lot of girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like you said, how narrow. Supported. Like yeah. that idea is supported as like hard as it is for them to admit like that is fine in that culture. Yeah, absolutely. And expected. And pursued. Yeah. And you um, know what's also funny is that I feel like there's this other sort of thing that I heard a lot in like the early aughts of like, I'm men enough to wear pink. It's like that was the only way that they like knew how to be like, I am also sensitive. But like it still had to come from a kind of like weirdly aggro place. It's like it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you're wearing salmon if you're still a piece of shit. <laughs> sure, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. You know, but that's kind of like I feel speaking to the identity of someone who's trying to say I want to come correct and be sensitive but this simple thing is my only way to kind of talk about that. Yeah, and I think we're, we're lacking dialogue for yeah. them. And I think, if anything, that was kind of the aha moment was not only that visceral reaction of them being like, oh, my gosh, like they really care. And then I got done and then sitting there for three hours after as they're, like, asking all these questions of, like, how can I be a better dude? And my little sister is, like, struggling with an eating disorder. How can I love her better? Aww. And how can I, you know, my mom's a single mom, and, and I know that she, you know, just, like, they're humans, you know, and, and struggling and don't have an outlet for that. And so when you ask about the locker room, that is um, a metaphor for where masculinity is being created. And oftentimes a really dangerous definition of masculinity is being created. So rather than kind of go out, you know, in all these different ways to try and change that, like why not go to the heartbeat right. of it and, um, and the juxtaposition, right, of a girl being in a locker room that in itself is like, wait, what? Right. Um, coming to their to their terrain um, with the utmost humility 
because I would never presume to understand all of the intricacies in the pressures and expectations that they feel, but simply coming in and saying, like, truthfully, we need you. And I think that was the difference, yeah. was, like, instead of pointing fingers and being on a soapbox and being like, here are all the ways in which you're failing, which, like, guess what? That's not an effective <laughs> way also not to communicate with men. It's not their fault. And that's, like, one of the lines in the Protector documentary that I always say is, like, here's the thing. It's actually not your fault. It's, like, generations mm-hmm. of Conditioning. That. Yeah, yep. conditioning. Well, and violence against women has existed since 5th century BC. Of course. You know, and there's all this, as recent as 1996, they were talking about the fact that, you know, rape within warfare was not only a byproduct of warfare, it was a strategy. Jesus. So when you're talking about, like, how to conquer a town, how to conquer a village or a city, um, that was a strategy, mm-hmm. um, especially before there was birth control, right? Mm-hmm. So it was like, we're going to impregnate your women. And so I think that's the other thing that people don't understand when we're talking about these stats of like one in four girls and on a college campus and it's like, well, yeah, because this has existed forever and it doesn't mean that it's hopeless. It just means that this is like a really um, dark underbelly of humanity where we can only move the baton um, as far as we can in our lifetime and hopefully hand that off to someone who just continues um, continues the work. So you're, you mentioned the documentary and I want to backtrack a bit. So you did this initial talk and then you've just been going into locker rooms and kind of creating a program from that, and then the documentary was a byproduct of that? Yeah, so what ended up happening from a timing standpoint, which, again, is just kind of, this is the beauty of life, right, is that as we author it, I think that there is an invisible co-author that is simultaneously at play. Mm. And um, a week after it aired on ESPNU, uh, Everything with Ray Rice came out, so that really graphic video of him knocking Uh. out his... um, at the time, fiance in the elevator, um, really elevated the conversation of sexual assault um, and domestic abuse prevention. We've known it's a problem, but that really escalated it. And so from because that came out a week later, basically overnight I was hired by Division One locker rooms all over the country to continue to have that same conversation, mm. which got dubbed as a protector conversation. And it's spelled protect her, H-E-R, mm-hmm. just because I know it sounds like we're saying protect I just had the weirdest flash of like, this has n- probably nothing to do with this, but remember Solange in the elevator kicking Jay-Z? No one ever talked about how he didn't really react. And no one was ever like, hey, not cool. Right. Everyone was like, oh, what'd he do? Yeah. What'd he do? Yeah. It is interesting how it was like, when obviously... There's stuff going on. Well, and they, on the gradient, that right. was like a two... Ray Rice right. was like a 97. Of course, but like but as a man of him not like literally no reaction to the point where you're like that's weird, but that's so interesting. But mm-hmm. Steph, like of course t- sometimes shit goes down when there's a billion dollars on the elevator, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Sorry, I had to. No, I do know. I mean, Remix. I'm constantly on an elevator with billions in my pocket, so I All get it. All the time. It. But I've never that's I don't know why. Interesting, yeah. No, it's He just like barely yeah. didn't did anything and that could have easily, especially in like hip hop culture, which is similar to athletic culture, where it's just like really aggressive languaging and behavior toward women. Like he could have done anything. Anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So weird. It's interesting. I, it would be interesting to have a conversation with him about what did he do because so much of what we're talking about in locker rooms, um, and obviously being able to then transition into like I was preaching to girls like ninety seven percent of the time, and then like basically overnight was like the complete inverse was like just in like nonstop locker rooms and one of the things that in the midst of that it's not your fault it's not your fault that you've been actually programmed to be disrespectful 
um, to girls. Um, what's also difficult as athletes is that their bodies are trained, right, to react. You're trained to react in these, like, split-second decisions um, in game-time moments, right. mm-hmm. you know. And they're also typically um, – they're rewarded for their aggressive nature, you know, especially when you're talking about um, team sports. And so – Especially football. Especially football. I mean, you're talking about an actually football, violent – And then and there's hockey. all the brain damage. Yeah, like, you just that. can't blame them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which, I mean, that's a whole other thing, right, is on the other side of that many concussions and how they become even more aggressive mm-hmm. and then there's no outlet. Um, you don't really see rapes in baseball because it's, like, so chill. So chill. They're like, oh, I'll spit some sunflower seeds. Yeah, they're just, like, more relaxed. Gum. Totally. <laughs> totally. And, like, slightly Well, overweight. and they, like, don't hit each other. I mean, except, exactly. like, sliding into home. Yeah. You know? But they're not, like, it's not basketball. Like, basketball's aggressive. Yeah. Football's next level. Rugby, game over. Bye. These guys don't even have teeth. Right. So... Um, so how how do we sorry to cut you off how do we take this conversation how can we have this conversation with the men in our lives such a good question I think um, what I found is that there's a timidity around men knowing what to say Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to not only the issues of like sexual assault domestic abuse right that's like such a specific thing but I think being able to sit down and asking them questions you know, of there is a blind spot in privilege as men that they don't understand. And what I found, and again, this is just experientially sitting in locker rooms, the questions that come out of them is like, sometimes I feel guilty for being a guy. Mm. Like sometimes I like, I feel like when people get on that quote unquote feminist rant, like I feel like I've done something wrong just inherently because I have a penis, you know? So like, how can I like be not only be a better dude, but, like, what can I say in those moments? Because they tend to, like, you know, really lean back from that table. Of course. Because they're so afraid they're going to misstep or they're going to say something. Sure. And girls are going to be like, what? Are you serious? And then they're like, no, just uh, never mind. I was, uh, you know. And so I think part of it is, like, asking them questions about, like, what can I do to make you feel more invited to sit at this table? What can I do to uh, engage a conversation with you and, like, asking them about the relationships with their moms? Like, it gives context to things, right? Um, Was there ever a moment in your life where you felt like maybe you did disrespect a girl and that you'd feel comfortable sharing that? Because in my journey to become a better human, I want to better understand that through our mistakes, that was a big thing that came up, was that the majority of guys were like, yeah, there's definitely a moment where they they feel shame around something. Mm -hmm. And whether it was like, yeah, calling a girl a bitch or whether it was like there was a girl who was really hammered at a party and I like didn't do anything and I knew I could have done more. Like a lot of that feeling of like I could have done more, what I find is that group think is very real. Um, And how many guys have these moments where they're like, I know I should have done something and I didn't. And so we also understand how silencing shame is. Mm. Um, And a lot of guys walk around with a lot of shame of like, I just did it because I thought it was cool at the moment, but it wasn't cool. And um, and so for me, it's inviting that conversation of like, I'm not perfect. There's been plenty of times where I've caught myself like totally talking shit about a girl. And it's like, I live on a platform. You know, I created an entire movement of like, don't do that. You know, and so I have moments where I'm like, oh gosh, I've been completely out of integrity. So I think inviting them um, to have dialogue. And like you said, it doesn't have to be on a stage or in a locker room with 500 male athletes on a campus. I think to recognize the agency that we as individuals have um, over our own life and the impact that that the ripple effect is very real. If it's one dude in your life that you sit down and talk to them and also sharing your story. And I love the idea of, you know, like the quarterback example where it's like they are the, the leaders, the, the, the go-to guy in, on the field from what I know of football, which <laughs> obviously is a lot. 
downs. How impressive. Downs, you know, there's downs and, and, and stuff. Um, but they, <laughs> they, t- so some of the, some of the, one of the things that I love about what you talk about is that it's kind of that moment of like them hearing someone talking in a way that would be out of integrity for the message that you're saying. And they're just like, as a leader saying like, hey man, like that's not cool. Like I just feel like that kind of passive conversation can be so powerful. So powerful. Because that's a good shame. Mm-hmm. To like call someone out. Teachable moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to create leaders in that way that that's like gentle. Yeah. Is really beautiful. I really love that. And I think even one of the big things we're doing within Protector, so back to your thing of like it's a four-part educational program that okay. can be integrated into high schools and colleges um, into locker rooms right now. So we're myopically focused um, for round one on male athletes, but um, that will expand. That being said, um, to your point of being able to provide them with very real tangible tools Mm -hmm. of like language of like, what do you say in a moment where you see something's kind of sketchy and you don't know what to do? Because do you know the emotional IQ required for anyone to step up in a situation where you're seeing someone being disrespected or their sexist comments or their racist comments and you're sitting in a coffee shop. I mean, they have so many studies of how like most people like just sit there and are like awkward and like know they should do something, but no one stands up and is like, yo, you don't talk to people like that. You need to leave the coffee shop because you're being disrespectful. Like that person, the amount of authentic confidence that arises in those moments, because the reality is we're not talking about hours. We're talking about the 15 seconds that we're asking people to be brave and that window is short. Mm -hmm. So how do you equip them? And one of the lines that we've come up with within Protector is this idea of we don't do that. Because one thing that guys within bro code, one thing is that for them to call a dude out and be like, dude, you shouldn't like that is like actually against everything with their like against the pack. That's against the pack. And so giving them language in the moment of like, come on, bro. Come on, dude. We don't do that. We're better than that. Come Mm -hmm. on, put her in a cab. Take her home, you know, so like equipping them in those moments and then around consent, you know, giving them phrases of like, I just want to make sure you're still cool with us hooking up. Like, are you still comfortable with us having sex, you know, and like giving them because guys are programmed differently. So they're not nearly as verbal as women. And then you combine the fact with a generation who's like programmed behind a screen. They don't even need liquid courage anymore with alcohol they have screen courage mm-hmm. so hence all the sexting that happens and they're like oh it's on and right? then they're so boring in person yeah and then you meet them in person <laughs> and you're like uh and then they're so awkward because they don't actually like they've substituted a false sense of relationship and communication and then when they actually get together they're like this is awkward like they've been so explicit mm-hmm. in all of this sexting but then they get together and they're like hey uh and then they just get super hammered because they don't know how to actually have real conversations and relationships. And yeah. then they end up hooking up. And then you have this situation where one, you know, one of the parties wakes up and, like, doesn't recall every aspect of the night. And that's why I say protector isn't just for girls, right? The, a lot of people assume, like, oh, we're asking guys to protect us because we can't protect ourselves. I'm like, protector is an invitation to humanity, that is an invitation to us as women to better protect ourselves. And I don't just mean physically. I mean, like, self-love, self-care. That is a, a call to arms for sisterhood. Can we do a better job of protecting each other? And, of course, that's an invitation for men to participate. But I'm equally protective over young men who are waking up in circumstances. Because, like you said, it's not their fault. They're doing exactly what we've programmed them to do. That's something I really hate about the current kind of feminist conversation is I feel there's a lot of, like, us versus them in the dialogue. And that really bothers me because it's like, like you said, this has been going on forever, generations before 
the generations that we have had contact with were on Earth, and to then just like saddle millennials and like Gen Z dudes with fucking this responsibility, and and they're just born with a sense of having done something wrong. Yeah, I think it separates people from wanting to be feminists mm-hmm. because it creates a definition that's like angry. Sure, and that's why I'm always like, I love men, like mm-hmm. I love them, and I want to be able to say that yep. without being like against women. Sure, it's yeah, and I, I mean, there, I've definitely the. The most intense public criticism I've gotten for Protector has never been a dude. It's been women saying like, "I don't like the name Protector." But that's the and that's I'm like, a, "What? That's what you want to argue about?" Because you're getting like, behind the wrong. You're getting mad at, at the wrong well, thing. And I think, especially with an acad- academia, and like right. when you look at like movements, I think the reality is that there is a lot of ego masturbation that ends up happening Mm -hmm. that it's like we can sit here and like have intellectual discourse all day long and pontificate about all the ways in which we think vernacular is significantly impacts our reality all day Mm -hmm. like and by the way I geek out over that stuff so like yes that being said if you're not in the trenches doing the work schlepping like every three days into another locker room to engage with you know the people where you're trying to see the impact having then like truthfully like I just don't have time you know what I mean if you want to argue over the fact that you don't like the name of the brand like cool awesome but like in the meantime then clearly you don't you don't know me right mm-hmm. because you don't understand and that what's in my context. wrong with saying men should protect women why is that bad why is it bad it's like i'm sorry like sue me men are stronger physically than women and like for the most part so if a man is doing something negative to a woman, it's very much so that another man could be there to help that sure. person out. And that's not like a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah, no. We're all no here question. to help each other. Well, in every survivor that I've that I've sat down and, and met with and worked with and listened like to their on stories. The TV show? Sorry, I had to. Yeah, I know, I had to. Bring back. Um, <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> but it's like in every one of those moments, and by the way, not just women, right? Because men, like one in seventeen men are sexually assaulted on a college campus as well. One in eight by men women in the army. By people. Right. You know? So, like, men are also, and that's the thing that in the LGBTQ community is, like, severely affected by these stats and have far less, you know, ramifications on the other end of actual justice. Um, So, for me, whenever I sit down with a survivor who's sharing their, like, courageous story, um, that person doesn't give a damn who would have walked in the room and prevented that. They don't care if it was a man, if it was a woman, if it was a gorilla. They were like, if anyone, and that's why I say, like, it is a call to arms for humanity yeah. to step in and say, we don't currently live in a society specifically in the United States, much less we can start looking at other cultures. We don't currently live in a society that um, that is deeply respectful and protective over girls and women. We don't live in a world that is deeply, like where masculinity and manhood is tethered to the inherent respect for girls and women. So to me, it was like a banner of like, yeah. can we all collectively, and I think that's a difference. And when I feel that criticism, when women, you know, get really aggro and are like, I don't like the name of it. Like, we are fine. We don't need men helping. No, and to your point, And then to your point, like, and one of the, like, a, a very um, public feminist came out and was like, we don't need men to protect us. And I said the same thing. I was like, no offense, but like, can we just agree that whatever we're doing isn't working? Can we just start there? It's the next thing is like we don't need men like to like have I just I can't I hate that we don't need men conversation. It really, really upsets yeah. me. Like a I mean, lot. Because again, to Nicholas Kristoff and um Cheryl Wu Don, who wrote my favorite book, Half the Sky, I think that whole point of like we are never going to preach 
to half the sky and think that we're going to see any social change happening. Mm-hmm. That it does require all of us. And, and the f- feminism requires men coming and sitting at the conversation and stepping up to the plate. And if Protector is but one opportunity to invite them into that, all day. All day. The documentary came out. Yes. On ESPN. N- no. Um, we didn't, we didn't film that. it. Yeah, we didn't uh, launch it on that because it's part of the actual program. Oh, got it. We did a soft launch at South By. Got it. Mm-hmm. So we where the- can we... We watched the trailer mm-hmm. or a little excerpt yeah, of it. When can we see the rest? So we're actually like working through what that looks like because okay. we're we're shopping. Um, we're shopping it right now. Great. Um, and this is not the first movie you've been involved with. Selling. You produced another movie, which was phenomenal. Yep, Sarah Bordeaux, one of my best friends. I call her my work wife. Um, she produced and directed. I came on as executive producer, and which really means she did all of the work. That's what mm-hmm. that means in titles. And um, it was called A Braveheart, the Lizzie Velasquez story. And it was our first film that we'd ever done. And we ended up winning nine out of nine film festivals. So super exciting. Um, And so we're going back to all those same film festivals and submitting it. amazing. When I would see people post about that movie who didn't know you, I was like, oh, my God, this thing is – I was so proud. It was incredible. It's so cool. I mean, anytime you put something out into the world yeah. and it's received well, I think is, you know, a privilege Shocking. to be. Yeah, yeah, to be part of something. Yeah. Like the 13 Reasons Why, um, I, I worked on that Netflix show, and it was one of those, you know, when, it, when it's brought to you in script form, and you're like, okay, cool, and you have no idea it's going to be like the phenomenon of Netflix, um, and it was hitting like really hard, you know, suicide and sexual assault prevention. So like anytime you have projects out in the world that like then become like mega successful, and you're like, oh my gosh, and I think that... In an interview recently, they were like, what do you think is, like, the through line, you know, of your work? And I was like, stories, storytelling, Mm -hmm. you know, being able, whether it's, like, books or whether it's, like, starting movements or whether it's, like, that's it, right? It's the power of what you girls are clearly doing is inviting conversation to impact culture. And I think that is most likely the most powerful way to do it. Agreed. Um, We (laughs) ask this to uh, most of our guests, and I'm curious with what you have going on right now. Do you have a like a routine, a ritual, something you do or something you've done recently? For us it's like fluid and always always shifting and and transforming. Sure. Um so recently and I think it was because I was traveling so much and just work has been insane, I got really into the habit of like coming home and like having a glass of wine or two or sometimes three. <laughs> um but realizing get loose, girl. that get loose girl. Um but it's realizing good for your heart ish <laughs> when people say that I'm like okay is it, is it? <laughs> like I'm always they're like no a glass of red wine every day people say the same thing about caffeine I'm like is it <laughs> um I'll take it though um but one it wasn't crack it, pipe per day per day is fine <laughs> just fine. one puff just one puff um but I just I felt like and it wasn't just like the glasses of wine it was the not working out and like you it's so easy for that downward spiral where then you're just like I'm hungry and so you're just like eating whatever and I tend to be like a very healthy person and it just gotten really out of those habits and so recently I think um I, I'm the power of words and I'm a writer so like I think that is one of my superpowers at least for myself and so I wrote myself a love letter and I basically was like asking for my help and I said dear Lex I love you so much, like, where this is coming from. Like, literally, if I were to sit down with a best girlfriend and say, like, yo, what's up? Like, I feel like you're not being super healthy and, like, you don't feel super great. Only I think that we lack that conversation with ourselves. Like, Mm -hmm. we think we have relationships with ourselves, but most people, like, what is a relationship really? 
You know, so it's engaging in communication. It's showing up for each other. It's accountability. It's love. It's grace. It's forgiveness. It's all these things. But like, how often do we actually exercise those in action with ourselves? And so writing this love letter of basically like, I love you so much. And I know you've been working insane hours and like you're traveling like a maniac. And like, first off, how are you? Right. I feel like I haven't checked in with you. Like you seem kind of stressed out and, you know, all these things. And like that being said, it really ended with this call of like out of complete grace and not judgment. And I think that's something that we're so self-critical, right? That like Simon Cowell that exists inside of our, our brains. <laughs> oh God, get him out the of The worst. <laughs> and, um, and it ended with like, I'm just asking you to love me and take better care of me. Like, love me better. That's so sweet. And I literally, I, I have it in my backpack. And so I've read it every day since since I wrote it as just this reminder of, like, I want to work out more. And I want to, like, take quiet time. Um, I do, like, I journal every morning. I've gotten really out of the habits of, like you said, the rituals that I know matter to me. Um, that self-love is is tough, you know? It's tough when, like, the world demands so much of you and we're so busy and overscheduled and overmedicated and overstressed. And I think that to take pause to really have that in inventory. Um, so I think a big part of my ritual has always been journaling because it's, like, the only thing that, like, stops me long enough yeah. to, like – and I, I literally write out questions. How are you? And I answer them. Like, I'm in actual dialogue with myself. I feel like we've just assigned some that's a retrograde homework to mm-hmm. our listeners. I love that. Write yourself a letter. Yeah. Any other tips for what we can include? You put me on the spot. Yeah. I just panicked. Um, <laughs> I mean, like I said, I, I think that we don't treat ourselves with the same, not only respect, but um, with the same relationship that we have with other people. And so in that journaling homework, and I'm such a nerd, so I'm like, homework, ooh, <laughs> do I get to do it too? Uh-huh. Um, sure can, Alexa. Thank you. Um, I, think it's, I think it's asking the hard questions, literally, like writing down the question and then giving pause and allowing yourself to answer. Because so often, like, we're reading self-help books and we're going to friends and we're paying a lot of money for therapy. Am I only talking about myself? <laughs> um, all of these things, we get all of this external information and advice and wisdom and we don't recognize that, like, we possess all of the answers to all of the questions that we could ever want or need in the world. Mm-hmm. And we are the only person that doesn't go to the warehouse, the wealth um, of wisdom. And so for me, I think that it feels silly to be like, I'm not going to ask myself questions. And then it is so powerful when you say like, how are you? Question mark. And like, you know what's going on with you and giving yourself pause. And I think that your hand starts writing before you even know, and you're you're answering your own big questions of like whether it's a breakup, whether it's addiction, whether it's cutting, like whatever form of the way in which your monster shows up of like how are you doing with that right now? Um, so I'm a big fan of like self inquiry, and um, that's beautiful. I love it. Me too. Tell us and our listeners where we can find you the interwebs. Follow the, the Protect Her journey. Sure. Get in touch with I Am That Girl, all that fun stuff. Absolutely. Um, two separate websites. We have imthatgirl.com and we have protect, like you said, H-E-R, protecther.com for like more information on both of those, although they are very soon <laughs> going to be immersed in one another. Um, and then the socials for them are just at protecther.com on Instagram and Twitter and same with I Am That Girl. It's just I Am That Girl. And for me individually, it's Miss M-I-S-S Alexis Jones, which – I don't, I'm like trying to decide, do I change Hold that to like to Mrs.? No. Mrs. No. Alexis Jones? But it's just Miss Alexis Jones. So also, beautiful. that's not your name. Yeah. Mrs. Alexis Jones. Totally. That's someone else.
someone else. Yeah. <laughs> and we're actually going to be at the I Am That Girl. I cannot is wait. Is it, um, do we, we call it a summit? Do we call it a conference? Leadership Summit. Leadership Summit. Mm-hmm. We'll be doing rave. a lot. Li- yeah, the rave for all the girls in college. <laughs> um, the We'll be doing a live show there. I cannot we can't wait. can't wait. Yeah, Fun. I got that. I got when that memo. When's that date? That's in July. Okay. Right? June? July. July. Yep. Haley knows. Yeah, awesome. I know. We're looking at Haley. <laughs> I'm like, don't look at sure. me. I have no clue. Right, Alexis, we love you, okay. and we look forward to having you back on this show. Thank You're you. You're so wonderful. Thanks. 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 Yes, that's a retrograde. Here we are again, Elizabeth. You know what time it is. What time is it? R- 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 roses and thorns. Oh, wow. Yeah. Play the jingle, though. It's time for RNT. So I feel like I want to go first. I love it. Follow that impulse. Just dial I'm in. Amped up on chocolate and I'm ready to yes. do this. Shout out to Simply Susan, our intern Haley's mom, who made us all of these treats. Like, who are you and why are you an angel? These are drunken raisins that are soaked in vodka. Amazing. I'm about to drink these raisins and make had, a bad like, choice. Dehydrated tomato <laughs> slices. They're like tomato chips with they had a cashew Pizza cheese chips. on them. Pizza chips. Of course, I can't avoid the cashews. That's okay. Honey. Anywhere I turn. Once in a while, it's fine. I just can't avoid the nuts. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my rose and my thorn are the same. Okay. Which is why I want to get it out of the way. Yeah. I discovered, finally, at long last, the excruciating, dark, twisted, beautiful joy of The Handmaid's Tale on, on Hulu. Yeah. Who's watching it? Hand-raised. Everyone is watching it, and they must be watching it. It is so fucking good. My rose is that it's great, incredible, and my thorn is that a I stayed up till five o'clock in the morning watching it, and then finished it this morning when I woke up at ten thirty and have literally done nothing with my day except cry to a Hulu show and get acupuncture. Mm. Um, <laughs> That's a retrograde lifestyle. The dream, but my. Other thorn is that it's based on a dystopian future that, like, has a lot of elements of today's world that could potentially happen in, like, a very twisted manner. And, God, I hope that we don't go that direction. I don't think it will ever turn into that exact thing, but just the whole, like, you know, what's happening in the show is that they're living in a society where most of the women aren't fertile. And so they basically, like, capture the fertile women into being sex and slaves and babies making slaves and that's their way of like controlling the femininity and like what I think is interesting is that there really is always that kind of option it's either like control the femininity and like have the men and and the society be the ones who dictate it or like celebrate the goddess and be like yeah of course it is the most important thing and like we raise that up and we and it's interesting because there's a scene in the show when they walk into this ballroom and she looks up and it's like the Greek, like the Grecan imagery of like the naked woman, like voluptuous, celebrating really like fertility. Mm-hmm. And they just like fully killed that archetype like all together. And there's so many different parts of the show that are just heartbreaking and beautiful and it's so important and everyone needs to watch it. So good. I'm going to I'm gonna revisit. I watched the first two episodes. It was like heavy for me. I wasn't I in the vibe. I couldn't stop. Yeah. Oh my but God. I, I actually really want to read the book that you said it came out in 1985. Mm-hmm. Margaret Atwood, who's actually I mean, the, in the first episode the of the show. storytelling is phenomenal. Like I love the whole story behind it, but I'm like it's... It's it's a little bit of a heavy topic. It's funny. Like, I didn't really find it 
heavy because it feels so weirdly possible. And I feel right. like everything that I'm ingesting in media is really heavy right now. So to like have it be done in such an artistic way with making this like strong commentary, I was just like, yeah. Yeah. I'm not, wonderful. I'm, I would rather watch this right now than like Bill Maher, yeah. which is actually like really heavy and sad. Agreed. And performances. I'm just over here watching Real Housewives of New York, you And know? shout out to Dan Nicola for fucking finding that yes, story. Yes, our friend Dan, who's over at Hulu Scripted. Really Killing just, it. He's, I've always called him my muse, and I'm not going <laughs> to stop now. Beautiful. <laughs> I love that. So that's my rose and my thorn. Rose and your thorn. Yeah. Love it. Um, I'll be quick. Yeah. Guru Jagat podcast. Ooh. We had the opportunity Can of, I jump on this bandwagon? Yes, of okay, course. Great. It's a be a communal rose. We had the, the lovely opportunity to join Guru Jagat, who is a kundalini teacher here in Los Angeles, on her program earlier this week. We're going to post the recording of that. It was so fun. It was so cool. She called us the ab fab of the new age, which is the kindest compliment. Guru Jagat's my celebrity crush. Same. <laughs> same, same, same. And we'll have her on the show. If you guys are interested at all in kundalini and that world, check her out. She has a book that the name escapes me at the moment. Um... But that's okay. So that was really fun. I, I mean, and you can find it on Rama TV. Um, SoundCloud, iTunes, all the fun stuff. And, and what I love is it's a visual podcast. Totally. So, Ideas. You know, we'll just dramatically pause <laughs> and let you guys put the pieces together. And it's a fun. We had a really fun conversation about, like, the background and the origin of That's a Retrograde and, like, mm. where we, Steph and I are personally and all of that fun stuff on this Fun new age abfabby journey that uh, we're on. Also, watch abfab. By, also, by the way. yeah, it's on Netflix. And then my thorn. It's kind of like back to the skin update. Twenty seventeen is. Um, I've now been been advised to keep a food diary to mm-hmm. kind of track what I've been ingesting, and I think I've been avoiding doing something like that all of my adult life. It's fucking annoying. It's fucking annoying, and it's also like. It can, to me, it kind of aligns, like, I, th- I think it can be a, a great tool, but I also think it can lend to, like, a little bit of, like, disordered thinking that I'm not trying to tap into. I see. So I was wondering if anybody has a, I mean, I've just been using notes on my phone, but mm-hmm. if anyone can suggest, like, a fun food diary app that isn't calorie county. Right. That's just kind of, Since like, a great way. it's not the of, 90s. Exactly. It's not the 90s. Um, and then our, You know, um, I get that so much. Like, you don't want to, like, lean into it because you're afraid that it's going to kind of trigger like a dysmorphia yeah I feel like a good instead of because you're not doing it to be thin right so I feel like it might actually be just like really good for you just to do it and not even be afraid of that because it's like not where you are totally like that might be just be like you know your old patterning that makes you think that and actually you can just kind of use it as a way to like celebrate what you're what you're putting in your body and also you're such a creative cooker that it can be sort of like a fun little... And then the food diary became a food blog. Exactly. Like, or like a little dark. kind of like cookbook or recipe creator. And then creator. post all your things you make on Instagram. Well, nobody needs that. No. no. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. I just mean as a creative exercise for yourself. Yeah. And like maybe, oh, I'm eating a lot of this thing and I want to eat something else Flip or the whatever. script. Yeah. Make it fun. Yeah, yeah. I know. I was kind of like dreading doing it and it had been suggested to me multiple times and I was like, I think that's finally like where we need to go with it. Yeah. But um, I'll keep you guys posted and slash keep me posted let me know if you have any suggestions. Um, and then a fun reminder, we're doing a giveaway for the whole purpose, which is going to be at House of Blues in Anaheim on June 1st. All you need to do is submit a review on iTunes of That's a Retrograde, send it over to us, mm-hmm. and you'll be entered to win. And you can also go over to thewholepurpose.com if you want to buy tickets. 
Woohoo! But we also will give you a pair of tickets oh. if you do if you enter. So that's fun. And scratch our back, and we'll scratch yeah, yours. Yeah, and I just want to say this is um, an exciting time. We are entering a fun new era for the That's a Retrograde podcast. Some might call it season two. We'll give you some more details in the coming weeks, but just really wanted to thank Britt and Fran. And everyone at the Embassy Row team for helping make That's Retrograde happen for the past two plus years. It's been phenomenal and we're really excited for what's to come. Thanks for giving our little baby a home and setting her free into the world. Yes. So, um, and thank you to all of our listeners. You guys are phenomenal. Thank you to Alexis Jones. We'll have her back for sure. We Mm -hmm. could talk to her forever. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go home and write a letter to myself. Cool. Thank you, everybody. Uh, you can find us on thatsoretrograde.com at so retrograde and Namaste listening. <laughs> yes, that's a retrograde.